it's like uh <laughs> i sometimes i'm like walking and i see my shadow like i see my <laughs> shadow and my shadow has like this very like feminine like haircut i'm like what is going on right now it's so weird it's so annoying um anyway so max el Haj, my man yes, sir uh, first of all, I pronounced it correctly. I know that because yeah. Travis always corrected me. I was like, I, I remember asking Travis, I was like, Travis, how do you pronounce Max's last name? He's like, El Haj. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, that totally yeah. makes sense. It's, it's yeah. not El Haj. I, it's, it's funny. I've had, uh, it's Arabic. My father's Egyptian. And so we were taught this is how it's pronounced growing up. And I just always assumed, but I never spoke Arabic. But then when I went to Egypt, there's like so many different ways that people pronounce it and it's very interesting yeah like there's multiple ways that you could pronounce and have different spellings of the same word does it mean something in arabic well the hajj is like the pilgrimage to mecca i think so i think okay 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 the pilgrimage or something i don't know that's pretty cool max the pilgrimage (laughs) that's badass that's that's pretty badass i am a pilgrim (laughs) uh well, I mean, you've definitely had quite a journey in the space. Yeah. You've done a lot of really cool things uh, these days, especially most recently. You're the training think tank mastermind. Do you have like a cool <laughs> title in your own company? Or are you just like the guy? Like what, th- what do you call I yourself? I think people just call me Max. Yeah, it's the easiest, <laughs> the easiest to pronounce. I've used it for so long. I don't really want to change it. So you're you're the you're the you're the the man behind training think tank. You're the max at training yeah. think tank. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and right. uh, yeah, you put together a really. We were just talking about this before we hit record here. You know, uh, our little our, our our dope producer Ryan here is talking about how much he loves what training think tank has been doing, and I agree with him. And I'm curious before we even get into any of the specifics of like the athletes, the competition, the whatever, like any of that how much of what training think tank does right now was like the result of you having this vision and you work towards that vision as, uh, as opposed to like, you know what, I've got some athletes, I've got an idea here. This could be cool if we did this, let's do a little bit more of that type thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's been interesting because I think I actually talked to an old friend who, who now works for CrossFit while I was at the West coast classic. And he was saying he had seen kind of my leaving when I left OPT or which is now OPEX as an organization. And I wanted to start my own thing, what I wanted to stand for, how I wanted to con- contribute. And I had this idea from my previous finance experience, there were these groups, whether they're in politics or whether they're in like hedge funds of people that come together to try to solve really difficult problems. And I perceived the development of a CrossFit athlete as a really difficult problem, especially because literature always said the opposite. Like you get strong, you lose your engine, you build your engine, you lose your strength. So I thought this is a really big problem. I'd like to get athletes to, or coaches to come together and start working on these problems in CrossFit athletics, general athletics, general health. And at first, it was kind of weird because it was just me and one other coach. And I'm like, yeah, we're training Think Tank. Uh, but as we've kind of developed and taken on more coaches, I think now what's happening in our reality actually reflects the name. Whereas before, it was almost like a weird contradiction. It's like, well, you're just two guys sharing ideas about training. Uh, but it's been cool to see it evolve. And I think I've had that 
in my mind since I started the business that we would eventually bring people together that could support athletes and, you know, grow the body of knowledge related to human performance and health. You know, I, I, you and I have been in this space for a long time. We've seen all the different trends. We've seen all the different, like, you know, uh, some things are very short lived and some things have been, have been around for a long time. And I remember it must have been because like the okay, so like the online programming thing was yeah. essentially only outlaw way for like three years. Like they were the only yeah. ones who were doing any online programming. And then sometime yeah. around like twenty I want to say like twenty fifteen-ish was when maybe twenty sixteen was when it started becoming more of a thing. Like people actually started putting out online programs that were meaningful and valuable and started yeah. becoming this uh, thing that people like join and glom onto and then it had this like growth where it almost became for a very short period of time it became like teams it was like oh i'm an invictus guy i'm a comp train guy i'm a training think tank guy i'm an opex guy and then that kind of went away but i'm feeling like now that's starting to come back like do you see that trend of like people are are turning into teams again there's like groups of people there's the underdogs in vegas there's yeah. you know there's proven in nashville there's you guys out in atlanta you know there's the comp train in boston like they're not only becoming like groups of people but they're actually geographically merging into certain locations yeah yeah it's interesting that it's happening but It's not really that surprising, I think, because athletics are almost always more fun and easier to improve at if you're doing it with other high level people. Now, what you talked about, or I don't know if we were recording at the time we were chatting about it, but it's hard with that competitive instinct that oftentimes a really big personality, somebody that could, you know, win the CrossFit Games or, you know, be a multiple time world champion in something oftentimes they do have to be a little bit more self-focused or, or they have been at least in U S training cultures. I don't know if that's true everywhere. It seems like the Kenyan running team for an, as an example, it seems like, or the Jamaican sprint team, there's fight camps that get together. A lot of fighters like won't move up a weight class to fight another fighter. So I think people see the value in training with other world-class athletes and it's just finding the right fit. Sometimes some organizations do it a little bit more cerebrally. Some do it by just bringing in superstars. Some do it through, you know, whatever methods that they do it with. Maybe it's like a lot of one-on-one action, like interaction, sorry, not action. Uh, So I think it is happening, but I'm not sure like what the, why people pick their specific flags. Like what is it that, why do they want to rock a certain organization? Is it just the coaching support there's the, the monetary aspect when you're talking about the biggest level athletes. So it's, it's been an interesting thing to watch. It's almost like a new era. Yeah. Cause like, you know, it, it was, it was like a team, like the, the team aspect of it, not like the team competition, but the team, like actually being on a team in a group, that yeah. part of it, I feel like um, there was a tipping point with brute, like brute came out and almost branded the group. It was like, if you're one of us, you're one of us and like made it a branding exercise. But at that point, the sort of like living around the same space, training all together at the same time that had trended out. And now that we're seeing that come back and, you know, like Chandler has moved to be out with uh, in, in Boston with like Katrin yeah. and, you know, it's like Brooke 
is living in Nashville with Tia and Will. And it's like, yeah. you know, we're starting to see actual like major life changes people are making to be yeah. uh, surrounded with excellence. And I'm, I, I, I'm curious to see if this time it sticks around longer. It feels like it's going to stick around longer, but I'm curious to see if this time it sticks around longer because it, that yeah. trends an interesting direction for the sport. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if it sticks around longer because it's a hard sport to monetize just in reality, like in order to have a world-class training organization and have, you know, the equipment that you need, the space you need, like if you try to set up a training lane for two or three athletes, you're talking about taking up thousands of square feet of space in your gym where then you're not able to serve, you know, maybe your normal demographic who is probably not world-class athletes. And if you're in a sport like golf or basketball or something like that, the coaches are being paid, you know, in the same type of, not the same amount of money as the professionals, but in some order of magnitude of it. And in CrossFit, the best athletes don't really get that much money. Like, yes, Matt Frazier might be a multimillionaire or whatever he's earned over the course of being dominant in the sport. But if you look at somebody who, you know, is a middle of the road games athlete who is, super impressive like any of anybody that makes the games is super impressive they're not really getting paid a lot so if you're work unless you're working with you know that one outlier person the resources in the sport i think are going to need to continue to grow which i think they will with new organizational leadership I don't, I don't know that for certain but i'm hopeful that that's the case over time yeah fingers crossed i mean that was one of the things that that i i personally had very very harsh criticism for crossfit um was the just how it honestly pitiful the semifinal uh prize pool was especially con compared to the last couple of years where the athletes were incentivized to travel and compete more often and earn yeah. more money by doing so and i think the the correction of you know, it was too spaced out. Like the season with the sanctionals was way too spaced out. It was too difficult to follow. I 100% agree with that. But conceptually, the like the correction, I feel like has gone so far in the opposite direction. You're seeing these athletes stand on top of the podium holding a big check that says $5,000. And it's like, where, what are we doing here? What are yeah. we doing? Like that didn't even pay for their travel to like get there to compete, much less what it's going to take for them to get to Madison or to yeah. live and train for the next month. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It makes it, or to me, it seems like if that's the case and there's that many people that are still interested in doing it, that money is not the only motivation that's bringing people to find their physical limits. There's something rewarding emotionally, physically, in terms of just what it feels like to be somebody that's that capable and that can be on that stage and can have eyes on you and, you know, be part of a spotlight type moment. So, yeah, I mean, it is interesting, but I do know from a professional architecture standpoint, if it's going to be a sport, it means it needs to draw in more fans, more professional coaches, more professional training environments. Because right now, you know, the, the best CrossFit athlete in the world right now, in 10 years, we'll probably look back and be like, oh, they weren't really that good. Because that's just the nature of development of every sport. And that's already happened within the decade that you know, like uh, somebody who's a low level semifinal athlete right now probably could have won the games in 2011 if you just transported them back there. So assuming that same level of development happens, I feel like you'd need a really professional infrastructure to support that, you know, like where people were getting trained properly from the time they were 12, 13, 14 years old. 
And I don't, I mean, we're definitely not there yet, but potentially we build that future together as just a collective group of CrossFit fans, whatever. We yeah, it's like fans and nerds and, and like spectators, but also professionally involved in like everything that, that goes into making the athletes. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that you mentioned that idea of like the escalation. I always, I called it the arms race of fitness. It's like, yeah. you know, the, the fact that you could take someone who's like not even capable of making it to the CrossFit games this year and probably podium them 10 years ago is I think something that a lot of people can't wrap their brains around, but is absolutely yeah. true. I mean, you're talking yeah. about a CrossFit games. Let's say if you go even further back and this is like almost too far back, but you go to like 2009, and like the women, the reason why Tanya Wagner won the CrossFit Games is because basically no one else could do muscle-ups. Like that was it. She had yeah. one thing that no other girl in the field was able to do. And yes. she won the CrossFit Games because of it. And, yeah. you know, like imagine now showing up to the CrossFit Games and not being able to do muscle-ups. It just would be, it would be like mind-blowing. It doesn't even make yeah. any sense. Yeah. You know? It was kind of mind-blowing to me that some people showed up to semifinals that way, but I guess... It is hard what it to is. believe, huh? <laughs> it's really weird. It's really weird that there are people who couldn't even hit the first. It was like at West Coast Classic, I remember watching someone fail the first snatch, and I was like, How do you not hit that first snatch? You had to snatch this 13 times or whatever, 15 times in the quarterfinals. Yeah. That's really yeah. strange. What the fuck yeah. just happened? Uh, I think that there is one thing to that, though. This could be we were talking about an athlete from now going back would probably win but there's more to winning i think than just what they do in the gym they would just have the gym fitness they'd still have to put it together over the course of multiple days and under pressure and all that stuff there's a whole other animal and you mentioned you know like 10 years from now we'll look at who the, the fittest person on earth right now and think about or like the best crossfitter on earth and think about like oh they're kind of middle of the road do you really do you really believe that you really believe like we'll we'll like in in 2030 they'll be like you know matt fraser was like decent he was there at the right time no i i think i look if only if the sport continues to grow in its ability to support professional athleticism because there's something maybe it's just like mirror neuron behavior but when you when you take a talented 17 year old kid and you bring them into an environment where they see somebody that's 27 or 28 that's able to do something it gives them like an instantaneous belief that that is possible and they want to do more and they strive towards that and they're adapting so fast that by the time they're 21 22 23 or like in Mal O'Brien's case 17 they're already or, or Emma Carey, they're already at the, at the level of the world-class athletes who have been training for a decade. So like, I think that continues to happen every generation. Now, some sports just fizzle out because they don't get enough support. They don't have enough fans. People don't give a shit about them. I hope that's not the case with ours. I think it's an inspiring one that at least could be as big as triathlon and probably could have a, a good, a similar impact on, health of humanity if it does continue to flourish but you never know i mean we're all in this with the uncertainty of what the future holds yeah that that is a good point i mean the i i i, I haven't published yet but i just recently spoke with james townsend who coaches mal and i had yeah. an, an interview with emma right before the granite games and i am still blown away by those two women i mean they are they are really an unbelievable pair the fact that there's not just one of them, but there's two of them, 17 year olds yeah. who came and just dominated the open and quarterfinals and semifinals. <sighs> it is a, 
it is a mind blowing like place that we're at in terms of what happens in the next three or four years. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that their trajectories are on that same curve because things change when you, you get in the spotlight, the, you know, you have sponsor obligations and pressure and, you know, it becomes a, it becomes a job versus it be, like when, when you're a kid, it's almost like you have these dreams that you want to fulfill. But then as things become more professional, as you get older and more responsibilities and it becomes literally professional athletics, it becomes a job and maintaining the same passion for your work and for your job in a sport like CrossFit is hard. And I've I've been lucky enough to coach athletes like Travis and Noah who have been at the highest level for a really long time. And I've seen what they have to do to sustain that. It's, It's a lot of work, a lot of work year round all the time. Yeah, let's 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 dive in. That's a perfect transition because I want to talk about both uh, both both of them because Travis, I don't even know where to start. I don't know where to start with either of them because like yeah. Travis Mayer, Dad Bod Trav over there is like showing up and winning the quarterfinals in North America, looking like he just hits the gym every now and then, or maybe is a runner. Like it's really hard to like, <laughs> you like look at him and you're like, man, that guy, like that guy, yeah. that guy beat everybody. That's really, and so at the same time, the types of things that I've seen, tra- like Travis still to this day has like probably, I'm going to call it like top five most like disgusting feats of fitness I've ever heard of. And, and it was the 30 pound unbroken Karen. And yes. I remember him telling me that he had done that. And he said it in like an offhanded way. Like it was like a throwaway comment. We were talking yeah. about- Like, oh, no big deal. And it's exactly, he kind of like did an offhand. He's like, oh, I've done Karen unbroken at 30 pounds. And I was like, what? What yeah. did you just yeah. say? Like, are you kidding me right now? That type of that type of like experience puts some hair on a man's chest. And, and yeah. when he shows up to compete, you see what he's able to do. And what makes it even crazier with him is that he has like, he has four kids, three kids. Yeah, four. And the newest one is like new, new, like like <laughs> less than a year old, like still very, yeah. very young. And yeah. he's still putting in the training hours and putting in the competitive time to be one of the best in the world. Like, how do yeah. you even, how do you even approach your job as a coach when that is like that's the guy that's the guy you're dealing with this guy who has all these things well i mean at this stage i think in my coaching relationship with trav it's more like a partnership because when you start with somebody who's really young in the sport and i was young as a coach too i mean just as a human i'm only like five years older than him so we you know had an idea of how we were going to develop him and what he needed to do. And he kind of just trusted the process. But as you become a veteran, you start to think for yourself. You start to think, okay, well, this is what I need to get better. This is what I need to do. And me and Travis have went through a lot of hard conversations, hard, you know, like heart to heart type moments where, you know, he had contemplated quick quitting. It's not worth it. Um, All of that stuff, I think just, has got us to the point that we just know how to work together. He's kind of his own boss. I help him with his program design. I help him with his headspace. I help him try to find new ideas, how to get better. But really at the end of the day, if he does really well, he's putting in all that work and he's the one that's focused doing all the stuff. So I kind of just, I think, became a better coach to him at his level right now by almost removing myself a little bit and becoming 
a little bit more of like just embracing the fact that we have a friendship and letting my whole community and culture help train him because it's not just me coaching anymore. We have other people to support him and give him ideas and let him make his own decisions. And um, we're still getting better. So I think it's hard to stop when you're still getting better, especially with Frazier saying he retired, because I think there's a lot of people out there that now are like, Oh, I can win. Not I can go there and take second or hope Matt Frazier fucks up, but they actually think they can win, which is a motivating thought. And I think a lot of people are in that place right now. And that's why the games is going to be exciting to see how it actually plays out. Yeah. It's like for the first time in, in uh, 11 years, the men's field in the games is going to (laughs) actually be like super exciting to watch basically. Um, But like speaking of athletes that, that feel like they can actually get out there and win, you also coach Noah and Under your, you know, under your, uh, you know, your relationship with Noah, during your relationship with Noah, Noah's had like his, his podium finish he had with you. He's had like his best performances. And he's also had like a lot of moments of like learning and growing as a competitor. And I'm curious, like what, when you guys heard like, oh, Matt is stepping aside, he's retiring, you know, he's done after five. I imagine there was probably a couple phone calls internally. You probably sat down with Noah. It's like, what was that conversation like? You're like, listen to me, Noah, you got this. Like, what, what's that conversation uh, like? Yeah, I mean, well, I think once it happened, Noah texted me, let's go win it or something along the lines. Um, so I think it definitely opened. He's try. He's went in with the headspace every single year we've worked together that his training has put him in a position where he can go and win. Uh, there were like moments of moments of doubt, I think, and anxiety as we've led up. But I think every single year we're like, well, you're better than you've ever been. And you were in a position last year. So you're, you know, you're able to do it. And being in that headspace and then losing to Matt Frazier <laughs> multiple times, multiple times in a row, it's that's a, it's a tough thing to have the type of character to keep coming back and keep maintaining your passion and keep maintaining your belief in yourself that the dream doesn't need to be given up on. So I think I have props to him for that. But when, when Matt removed himself from it, I think it's just human nature to be like, okay, well, thankfully I don't need to face that right now to make the dreams a reality because past history indicates that statistically speaking, I'm probably not going to do it. And everyone is going to point that out that he's been, you know, that, that happens every time you go there after two or three wins, they're like, can anybody beat you? Can anyone beat Matt Frazier? So it almost makes it more likely that they're going to be dominant because it's, you know, the whole ecosystem is fueling that person. Yeah. I, I wonder now in like a, cause you're a student of this. You don't just, you don't coach from like a, a you know, I think, I think the, the days of like the coach, that's just like, here you go, do this workout and then do like these other six workouts like that, that those, the days of those coaches being successful, is like either completely gone or numbered, like very, very yeah. short. Um, so you're a cerebral coach. You always have been a cerebral coach. Just the fact that your like coaching tree is from OPT it's about like as much of a, of a, of like, yeah, he's going to be real cerebral about how and why he does things. So you're a student of what it takes to be successful in space. And I'm curious, do you have these like markers that you use of like, all right, this is what it takes to win in the CrossFit games? Well, in previous years, I just used Matt's data. 
anything that he put out. I mean, it's just basically he's the standard. So, you know, if there's going to be some assuming his training was continuing to improve. And I just made that assumption because after one or two years, he just kept getting better. So I'm like, all right, well, there's going to be some rate of progress from where he is right now to next year if he keeps getting better. So you need to be better than this thing that he already did in competition if you want a shot. So it gives you some sort of a benchmark to start to shoot from to understand, all right, well, this is the approximate snatch. This is the approximate clean and jerk. This is about how much you have to move in a, in a barbell cycling workout. Here's what you have to do in a Metcon. But that's only one component. That's just being able to build the skills to do it in the gym. Then it's like, all right, we'll do it in a competition when like it's three, two, one, go. You might have not had great training leading in. You might be so anxious. You're not sleeping. It's hard to eat. You know, you have to do something really hot and you start to cramp. So having the sustainability that he had for that long was kind of amazing. And it helped me evolve because it set a, it set a benchmark. Well, this is what you got to do to win at the minimum. So let's try to get to there at least by next year and have a shot and see what he does. See if he messes up, see if, you know, there's something he can't do that he gets exposed in and you have an opportunity to, you know, to take that title. It's at least how we approached it. Now I don't really know. Yeah. Now it's like, now it's like, who knows now you have, you have like historic performances, but he's not putting any scores up or any, he's not like showing us what he can do with any of the semifinal events or the quarterfinal events or the open or anything. So it's like, there's no real way of knowing and saying, all right, here's our, Here's our comparison. Yeah, that that that, that and, does make some sense, right? Yeah. And everybody right now at the highest level has some things that over the course of the last five or six years have been statistical, statistically not great events at multiple different places. So unless like during COVID and during that period of time, people are able to radically change something that has been a big challenge for them. It's unlikely. So probably there's on the male side, at least Tia is a different story. But on the male side, I think that you have a lot of people that are really good at a lot of different things that programming is going to dictate part of who wins execution on game day is going to dictate who wins some of like, are these young kids as good as they were able to do in the kind of regional type format versus the games where you get no practice of the workouts, no heads up on them. You you know, you could end up having a bad first event and then get reshuffled into a back heat. And, you know, there's so many things that happen on game day that I think there's a, maybe a handful of 10 guys who are probably going there with the belief that they could win and actually have the tools to make it happen. The, the interesting thing to me about Matt stepping aside, like I remember as like just a fan uh just like someone who's involved in the space i remember the first time rich started putting out his programming i was like i wonder what this guy does like he, he calls it what's rich doing and it, it wasn't yeah. mayhem programming i was like you know what i'll sign up i'll give him 50 bucks to see like a month of it. i was never going to do any of those workouts but yeah. i was like i'll give you 50 bucks to see what you do and i looked i was like you do 300 handstand push-ups a week i'm good like I, I, all right we got it you're the volume yeah. king like you still yeah. are you never changed you, you, you just do more volume than anybody else did you do this? I didn't do the same thing with, with Frazier's. I didn't do the hard work pays off, but I'm curious, like, do you as a coach study what the other athletes are up to? A lot more. So when I was younger, I used to sign up for a program, especially if they were backdated, I'd go out, I'd pull it into spreadsheets and I'd try to figure out what are the patterns? Are they doing anything I'm not doing? Are there, you know, 
are, are they doing more intervals, more low intensity work, more Metcons to try to figure out if there was patterns to better program design. Over time, I realized that there's such a select group of people that could be world-class in something like this, that that is probably the determining factor more so than anything else, more so than coaching, more so, so than the program that they're following that kind of brings those people to that top 10 area. You know, I think I've done a lot of great things with people like Travis and Noah in terms of keeping them healthy and navigating injuries and figuring out how to develop their weaknesses and prep them for game day. But I don't really think that I would say I helped them become an elite athlete. They have elite genetics, elite behavioral characteristics, elite things that they brought to the table. So paying attention to what other great people are doing is not always a good model for how to make other people great because I'm not be able to replicate their environment, their character, what, what they have. So I think over the last like three or four years, I kind of just focused on what we were doing and trying to make it as good as possible for the people that we had and not really thinking that just because Rich Froning or Matt Frazier won multiple times that they were doing things right or that they were doing things right even for them. Cause I always exist with a little bit of doubt. I'm like, well, could you be better, but you don't need to be cause no one's good enough to push you. Cause maybe you're not doing something right. Maybe there's another, you know, another area of your game that you could develop. And I, we don't know that because they're already great. It's, it, you know, so it's, it's been an interesting mental thing for me to go through and try to come into my own as a coach and figure out how I'm just comfortable doing things with the people that trust me to, to help them, I guess. How different do you think athletes like, you know, versus what Travis and Noah are doing under your guidance, not necessarily you like writing every workout for them, but like under your guidance for, for what they're, how different do you think what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis is or a week to week or a month to month basis versus what like other athletes are doing in preparation? Is there really like, are we at the point where there's a, a like a homogenous sort of way that everyone kind of approaches things with little tweaks here and there? Or is there still this kind of wild, wild west of, well, this guy's just doing nothing but, you know, diaphragm breathing exercises and show, doesn't do CrossFit at all and shows up and like beats everyone or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think it is pretty different, but I think as you get closer and closer to a competition or as you start putting things out public facing, you start to see them look a lot more similar to an outside world. But over the long term, I think like how long of breaks people take after competitions, when they get injured, how they navigate those injuries. Some people will like not train the movement that hurts them unless it comes up in a competition. Some people will create, you know, PT based solutions that include like balance drills and band drills to get them back to be able to train those things. Some people train at a certain level and compete at a different level. Some people train at this level and compete at the same level. So they have to do it every day in training. So I think there is a lot of variance at the highest level. But as you get closer to competition, you're like, well, you know, you're doing CrossFit. You know what the CrossFit Games events are. So people just start doing a lot of CrossFit, you know, to train for it. And you can't. I don't think that people can sustain a huge amount of those like crazy CrossFit games, heavy ass Metcons, because it's just really taxing on the system. So you start to see strength work get a little bit separated out. You see some of the cyclical work get separated out because, you know, it's hard to do a two hour marathon style thing like a 
a triathlon where you have to get off your bike and do burpee box jump overs. Like you'd start to get so slow in it that it almost defeats the purpose of training those cyclical elements. So yeah, I do think that a lot of the best organizations have found some best practices, but I also think that there's a lot of ways that you can separate in what the actual coaching process is. How do you actually work with a human to get them to get their best potential, both on a one-on-one level on a one-to-many level, on just like a content that you're putting out on media level. So that's what we're trying to do. I don't know if it's that much different. It's just we all have our own flair and, you know, decision-making process to make it happen. Why do you think the – so like, okay, again, we've been in, in the space for a long time. I love geeking yeah. out on this with you because I love talking about programming and workouts and like design and like yeah. why things function the way they do. And I'm curious yeah. like – what your feeling is about, you know, there was a point in which the the key to winning the, the games, the key to winning CrossFit and being the best CrossFitter was like, just do couplets and triplets as many as you possibly can, as long as you possibly can. And when it comes time to do couplets and triplets in competition, you'll just be better than everybody else. And then like yeah. Kalipa showed up and he was like, I can run a marathon in three hours. And everyone's <laughs> like, what the fuck just happened? Where'd this gorilla come from? And it's like, you know, so Chris Hinshaw like changed the game with aerobic capacity and he made a really compelling argument and he proved the worth of what that brings to the table. I, I'm, I'm curious, like what the next thing about that is, right? Because CrossFitters are really good about like, uh, well, we have to be like really good weightlifters. So they all embraced being weightlifters. And it's like, now yeah. we have to be really good at running and they all embrace running. It's like, what's the next thing that they're going to be embracing that's going to just become a, a part and parcel with being a CrossFit athlete? Yeah. Hold on. I am going to get to this question, but can you hear my dog snoring? No. no? Your dog is snoring oh that loud? God. Oh, she's, <laughs> she's a puppy and she snores so loud. And I kept trying to figure out, I thought there was like a chainsaw going off. And I was like, what the hell is that? Then I realized, I was like, I hope he can't hear that. It's going to sound like I'm just sitting here (laughs) farting or something. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, to get back to your question, I think that the next wave of stuff is probably all going to be dictated by what the programming architecture looks like at the CrossFit Games. Because Chris Hinshaw's models, I, I don't even fully know them. I know he uses some speed... Uh, speed calculations of what you're able to do in a 400 versus a mile to dictate whether you're more of a fast twitch and a slow twitch athlete, you need to prioritize speed versus train that longer system. That's a very common thing that's utilized in a endurance setting to improve people at being more enduring. I think probably what he brings to the table more than anything else is he's an inspiring man and he's done it himself and he ran with the athletes and he brought a lot of this. And then the key to it was that at the CrossFit games, there is a massive bias in the program design structure for running five or six out of the 15 tests are going to be dictated by your ability to run most of them long. Every once in a while, you get a short one, but most of it is long running. So 33% of the testing is dictated by your ability to locomote on your feet. Of course, if somebody's making a massive improvement in people's ability to run on their feet, it's going to be reflected in their performance on game day. So let's say CrossFit changes that. I don't know that they will, but let's say they change that and like pogo jumping becomes two out of every 15 
test, then the world pogo expert will have a place to teach CrossFitters how the hell the pogo jump. So I think that's kind of the process that's dictated by it. And I think it's a discussion in this kind of new format. What is the fittest athlete on earth? What does it actually mean? Because according to CrossFit's ideology, it's a little example. Today I went to the pool and we have a swimming coach on our staff who was like a world level swimmer. He teaches all our, our, all of our athletes on site, how to swim. He runs like uh, distance swim programs for us. So he taught me how to swim a little bit, but instead of just learning how to freestyle, I wanted to learn about how to move in the water more effectively. So I asked for drills on dolphin kick, drills on backstroke technique, drills on breaststroke, drills on uh, a butterfly, and tried to learn all of the different ways you can move in the water. But if I need to swim against one of my CrossFit athletes, I'll get crushed because every meter that they put in in the pool is developed at improving their ability to go freestyle fast, whether it's in the open water or in a Metcon. So according to the ideology, maybe learning all those other different styles of swimming would be more CrossFit, but we only test it with speed. So as the CrossFit ideology is reflected in the program designed by who's ever constructing it, I think that dictates how we train for it long-term. And we just basically look at the past and say, all right, well, this is what they did before. People don't change that much over time. So I'll use that as my model going forward. Yeah, you can, I mean, there's, I, I poke fun at it and I'm sure other people do, but it's like, how many times can you swim and paddle and run? Like, let's, like, let's maybe, <laughs> let's maybe swim and do something else. Why not? Why not do swim, swimming and something else? And that was one of the yeah. things I actually really liked about the very short, but interesting swim workout. It was like yeah. intervals, it was slam balls, GHG. It yeah. was just an interesting combination of things uh, yeah. that was showing up. And I guess that makes sense because in a way, you know, I, I get the feeling that there's a group of people that kind of see the CrossFit games almost as if it's like geometry or calculus. It's like discovered. It's a law of nature that gets kind of like translated down to us and discovered. I'm like, no, man, there's a reason why all the best games athletes are like five, seven, 190 pounds. <laughs> like it's yeah. not because that is the ultimate form of the humankind. It's that that's what the test asks you yeah. to be in order to be yeah. good at these things. Like if yeah. dunking was one of the events, Fakowski, everyone would be 5'11". You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. it's like, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's a very strange thing to think about the concept of fitness as like Greg Glassman and CrossFit defined it is like this almost like universal thing of like being available and prepared for multiple tasks. And then the application of that into like the sport is like, well, if you're not a great weightlifter and you can't run really well, it doesn't matter how good you are at every other physical yeah. skill because you're fucked. Yeah. But that doesn't, I'm not advocating for different testing. I love the CrossFit absolutely. games in whatever yeah, format absolutely. it comes out, but it really begs the question of whether or not we're actually testing fitness at all, or, or we're just biasing a group of tests. That's really fucking hard and hard to get through. And most people is just like, Hey, if I just put these things out there and give you, just do it, just do all these skills, not for time, just do this stuff in the next five days. Most people would have no chance of making it through day one, just, in the five days. So their capacity is just off, off, off the charts. I, I lost my train of thought as I was just talking there. <laughs> no, that, I mean, you know, and I'm not trying to, this isn't a thing. Like if there's one 
if there is one thing that I can absolutely praise Dave Castro on, like unequivocally, the workouts and the direction that he has pushed, like the, the envelope in terms of what the athletes are capable of doing is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Sure. And I can, I yeah. can think of like very far, I mean, think about how many things that he's programmed. I can probably on one hand count the things that are like absolute atrocities in terms of missing the mark. And luckily he generally realizes those things and doesn't repeat them like aka the softball toss like it never showed up again because it was a silly thing to do so like there's there's a lot of things that you can say especially with like the 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 program design it's absolutely challenging it's absolutely a a broad and general test although it is a little bit more specialized and it has to be because of the practical aspects but I, i i do like the idea that like you recognize that like it is it's almost like um it's like a snake eating its tail, right? Like at some point, like there was a start to like how this thing got started <laughs> yeah, at some yeah. point, but now the wheel's rolling. Now it's just like, yeah, this yeah. is what we do. And then we base it off of what we have done in the past. Yeah. I had a question. The softball toss, do you think it was a bad test choice because it was just horrible to watch or that it's not worthy of being a pointed event at the CrossFit games? I think that throwing should probably be involved in the CrossFit games because it's such a, it's such a base human thing to be like, how far can I move this object through an explosive movement? Um, But the application of it was really poor because you had a bunch of European athletes who were like, what is this? I've never seen this before. And like shot putting it. And then you had like Spencer Hendel, who was like a pro baller. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I'm going to throw it. I'm going to throw it until tomorrow. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. so the, the fact that they, it's almost as if like, why not do kicking a soccer ball? It would be the yeah. exact opposite. The Americans, yeah. unless they played ball in college would be like, what the fuck do you want me to do with this? And then the Europeans would be like, I grew up doing this. Yeah. So there's, it's there's interest- bias in it. Yeah. It's interesting because the unknown and unknowable aspect of it makes it so that you limit your own testing body because if you don't let people practice, they're going to suck at stuff. And no one wants to watch people suck at stuff. (laughs) Like it's just not that cool. Like, you know, like watching somebody who's below average at doing something, I can just go out and, see that at any point i i could do that myself yeah 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 but you can't doing something that you train for to optimize and figure out how to get your body to the nth level of performance it's just a beautiful thing to watch that obviously has been part of humanity forever i mean there's a big ass coliseum in rome that you know thousands of years ago people were getting and watching gladiators get after it. it's just a you know it's got to be part of our dna in some capacity it's one of the reasons why I think, and if this is a positive thing, we'll never see a one-to-one comparison within CrossFit to something that's recognizable in another sport. You'll never see a mile for time on a track. You'll never see, and you shouldn't, you absolutely shouldn't, because that's something more that decathlon does. Decathlon yeah. takes existing events, puts it together and creates a repeatable and measurable test of like broad field fitness. Yeah. Do you think that there would be a place to create, because the sport of CrossFit has been basically owned and run by a very small group of people. But if you figured out a way over time to decentralize it and said, okay, the CrossFit games is what you just described, but the sport of CrossFit could be played in a bunch of different ways. In one league, it could potentially be played where it's the same test every year or one off-season event or something like that. One could be where it's, 
you know, a different style of testing where you have, you know, maybe there's 10 general skills in CrossFit. You create one for each one of the general skills and change it every year, but release some information about what those things are so that people don't look crazy coming into it. Now, I don't know how any of that would ter- would play out in terms of like visibility or excitement or whether or not you could get an, um, an audience for it. But I think that over time, hopefully you will see that type of development and change and, you know, creativity because competition amongst competitions will make better competitions. I think. For sure. I, I would agree with that. And I think, I think the, the interesting thing is that like we've had what this will be 15 years of the CrossFit games essentially dominating what we know and understand as like a CrossFit event. But like even last year, and Ryan is Ryan is tossing this. Into, yeah, yeah, into the I saw chat. that. Those are those even, are good points. Even last year, uh, we saw events essentially start creating their own niche, which is kind of what you're describing. Like Loud and Live was putting together events where they're like, "Hey, you know what? We're going to do the West Coast Classic, and it's just going to be throwback events from the games and regionals. We're going to do yeah. Madrid, and it's just going to be a team competition. Dubai was like." we're going to use the 10 general physical skills and we're going to create events exclusively within those 10 general physical skills. And we're going to pay a lot of money to the people who can be the best across all of them. And it's like, it's a really interesting way of looking at what the, you know, what the, the, the potential for this thing is. The, the biggest hurdle to that is the fact that CrossFit brands the CrossFit games as like testing the fittest on earth. Because in a way, like you mentioned it yourself, is this idea that like maybe perhaps what's happening at the CrossFit Games or even throughout the entire game season isn't necessarily in matching with CrossFit's definition of fitness. It's it's like a it's like a variation of what the definition of fitness asks for that fits within the constraints of what the test is being applied in. So yeah, there's sure. absolutely a way to create an event and say, you know what, this event is going to be, you know, odd objects only, but like not kettlebells. It's going to be like fire hydrants. It's going to be fire hydrants yeah, yeah. and bricks. And like, it's going to be like old school strongman. Like there's a refrigerator, yeah. but you have to run a mile <laughs> with it or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's yeah. ways of, of making that argument and saying, oh, you know what, this is what's going to be our little niche or our way of doing it. And I would, I would love to see that. We're starting to see some of that, right? Ever since CrossFit became super popular, you're starting to see things that are kind of like the cousins of CrossFit also become popular. Obstacle course racing has mm. has absolutely boomed. Like, you know, Hefner is competing in like tactical games, which is like a whole new yeah. world for me, which I think is really interesting. Is like, like CrossFit and shooting kind of? <laughs> like CrossFit and shooting. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah. It's like let's bring that into it, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, the, the Spartan did like the Spartan games, which was, yeah. you know, it was like a week long and some of it was like long, like five hour, like running the same loop for five hours and seeing how much distance you can cover. And then there was like a wrestling tournament in the middle of it. Like, it's just, yeah. it's really wild. Like just get fucking crazy yeah. with it. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I think there's room for that for yeah. sure. I mean, I think if there were those things and they eventually got the ability to continue to do in-person events, you'd start to see best practices. And then the best practices could be used by the CrossFit Games. Now, I don't know how you would brand that. Like, maybe, I don't even know what CrossFit's competitive infrastructure for CrossFit competitions is, but I do think having 
some form of professional off-season circuit could attract a lot more types of people into the sport even like as masters athletes as as actual competitors like a lot of a lot of sport players from other sports wouldn't even consider CrossFit just because they're just like not the right size. You know, you come in and you're six foot five and 250 pounds and used to be, you know, a linebacker and you're competitive and you want to win. It's like, no, dude, you don't have a shot. Like you're never going to be able to do a hundred strict handstand pushups as fast as somebody that's five foot five and 160. Like you're just at a physical disadvantage and the sport tests for that type of stuff way more than everything else. So your most fit is dictated by the people determining the tests almost always. And the protocols to get somebody the most fit are only to get them the most fit according to those tests, not necessarily a a truly unknown and unknown subset of circumstances. Like you're not showing up to the CrossFit games and they're like, all right, fight to the death one person <laughs> one person wins or like in the in the open like everybody has to go to different locations and battle royale right it's like how how unknown and it's the the idea of unknown and unknowable is has become a bit of it there's clearly a template there's a reason yes. why everyone's like yeah i've got to be ready for you know some sort of swimming event i've got to be able to run mgw long. Yeah, right. MGW. It's, right there. it's like that, <laughs> like they literally teach it in their level one. If you pay attention, it's like, all right. He and when he puts his stuff out, he's like, MGW. I'm like, all right, I get the point. Thank you for the hint. I appreciate it. I will train my athletes accordingly to the best of my ability, knowing that that's the case. And if yeah. you decide to come up with something random that I didn't expect, so be it's happened before. Right. And I, I think I think that's like uh, that's like uh, that's like one of the things that separates like that's a you know that i remember in the mid 2010s right there was like this whole thing about who's fitter the champion in 2013 or the champion in 2015 the champion in 2011 or the champion in 2014 like who's fitter well the tests are different and it hasn't it hasn't like the wave hasn't crashed so that it kind of settles and you can see generally where people stack and I don't think we'll, it'll ever really be that clear. There'll be a general understanding that the more recent champions are fitter than the previous champions exclusively because the competition is fiercer, the tests are slightly more difficult or heavier or more challenging or longer or whatever, and they're asked to do more difficult things. But at the same time, there's also, also like, yeah. No, no, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say at the same time, like you can make an argument that it, because every year is siloed and like thrown out the window the moment it's over, then it's really difficult to do any sort of cross year comparison because people just compete to the level they need to compete in that season. Exactly. And, and against that competitive field. I think the only reason I say that they're more fit is because there's a lot of stuff in the general performances of the very simple to look at things where you just see they're getting better. Like there've been one K row tests, like the max snatch this year, how many people snatch 300 pounds now that are going to the games? It's like that used to be you, if you snatched 275 or 125 kilos as a male athlete in the sport, you were pretty strong. Now you're taking 15th place at a semifinal with that. All right. Well, the level's gotten better, you know, like, yeah, well, Matt I, Frazier could. Yeah. Yeah. Could I, I have, I have some, that. 
I have some feelings about, I have some thoughts and feelings about, you know, we come back from a 15 month hiatus of in-person competition and suddenly 20% of the field, suddenly 20% of the field is snatching 300 pounds or 200 pounds. And I was like, really, really, this is, this is what we're doing now. Like, is this, could this be a little bit more on the nose about like how this, how this off season has gone for some athletes. And I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying anything other than like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not one to like point fingers and say like this person's fucking cheating. I'm just saying if there was any opportunity oh, the oh. field to cheat personally, if there was any, cause there would be no, cause there'd be no testing. Cause there would be no testing or anything. It would ah, be, it would be sense. during the 15 month hiatus when the world shut yeah. down. Yeah. I, that makes a lot of sense. Now I don't, maybe I'm too naive to think about it, but as you said that I was thinking prior to that, I'm like, yeah, everyone's just staying home, eating, lifting weights. Like that's all they're doing all the time. But when you put it that way, I could definitely see that that would be a a potential contributor to that many people getting that much stronger in that period of time. I, I just, I was, I was blown away. I mean, we had, we had what, like three of the events had a max snatch in it and like 20% of the field on the men's side, 20% snatched 300 pounds. I was like, yeah, what? Like, how does that? Yeah. What are we doing here? I sat behind Travis and took. I I was at Mac. They actually let us into like the first row, right next to the competitive field. And I was like, oh, this is nice. I could actually maybe do something. So I sat there and watched all the heats go through. And I took down every lift and I just circled each competitor's best lift. And I'm thinking, like, as Travis is going out there, snatch hasn't really been the best lift for him. Uh, historically in competition, he had been having an awesome strength training cycle and had hit like 285, 290. He had taken runs at 300 and never made it. And I'm sitting there taking notes. And I'm like, all right, the best, there's like a 310. I think Zach Watts had hit 310. There was one 290. And then everything else was like 285 and lower. I'm like, all right, so our 275 opener 285 second lift 295 third lift if everything goes well that was our plan i'm sitting there taking notes and then the final heat there was a 300 a 310 a 300 and then like six guys in the final heat before travis lift go to 300 and he looks back at me he goes really 295 i'm like can you hit it he's like oh i'm like fuck it put it on you might as well try <laughs> it was it was crazy just that many people having hit that and, and some people that have been in the game for a really long time. I mean, Ben Smith has a lot of miles on that body and he's still strong as an ox. Scott Panchik, same thing. Uh, it was, it was a interesting thing to watch. Yeah. Ben, Ben's an interesting one to me because like he has so much experience, but he's like 24. Oh, no, he's not 24. He's like, he's like 30. Did he, did he, is he even 30? I don't even know if he's 30 or if he's 29. Like, yeah. He's been competing forever. Forever. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how he still wakes up in the morning and is like, ah, wall balls and toes to bar. Let's do it. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? That's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Do you have, um, and Ryan actually just popped into the chat here to let us know that 2012 Froning would have a really hard time qualifying out of Mac this year because his PR in 2012 was 275. And, uh, and Ben Smith is 31. Okay, so so now okay, we're, we're getting we <laughs> Ryan's really Ryan's really early. Yeah, this guy's awesome, man. Yeah, Ryan, yeah, he's the best, best, isn't he? Yeah, he's the yeah. best. Uh, okay, so I was wondering, do you have 
a do you have like a, a a performance that sticks out in your mind as like this is almost unbelievable how how good this came out with like how impressive this performance was i have one i'm curious if you if mean you have anybody anybody, anybody in crossfit like one that sticks out is like i can't believe that someone was able yeah. to physically do this I mean, there have been a lot of Matt Fraser ones, if I'm being honest. And I paid so much attention to that because I was coaching multiple male athletes that were all trying to beat him. So he was like very visible to me over the last five years. But one of them was Friendly Fran in last year's quarterfinals. That's number like, one, what? dude. That is? Yeah. I mean, 100%. Because those guys in the field are really good at thrusters and chest of bars. It's not like you, he's competing against chumps. You know, I've seen Noah do thrusters and chest bars really fast. And that time was like a 30 or 45 second outlier from the best people. And it's like speed of movement. The fact that he, like it was just it was awesome. But there have been a lot of those moments. That's just, that one's just super recent. And my memory is not always the greatest. <laughs> put well, on, that, that one, put on that one sticks out to me. No, no, no. That, I, I, that's actually that's the one that I have that sticks out to me as like an unbelievable performance. I have another one. I think it was Lucas Esslinger's Marathon Row. Yes, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because that's something, I mean, being good at thrusters and pull-ups and being like a, you know, a, a shorter statured athlete who has been as good as Matt, that's, you know that he's trained that stuff. He's probably done EMOMs and that style of workout. I don't think anybody has done a marathon on the rower in the CrossFit space. And for him, he held like a 148 average. Most people like pretty fit people in the gym, like some, maybe some, some of us that commentate or involved in coaches would have a hard time holding a 2k at that pace. And he did it for over two and a half hours. I was like, all right, I'm not tough. So (laughs) hold on a second. What's more impressive (laughs) is Lucas Esslinger's a marathon row more impressive or is Kalipa winning the 2k and then winning the half marathon row yes. more present yes i mean that was another one i mean some of those things that these athletes did are they're almost unbelievable it, it, they're unbelievable even in comparison to like the people doing those things not always like in running but like some of the if you took a world-class olympic lifter even doing something like 10 reps for time at a huge percentage, like a, a one, 125 kilo lifts. That's only 10 contractions. You might see a CrossFitter with a 200 pound less one RM snatch, or maybe a hundred pound less beat that athlete at doing their thing. That that's just impressive. Like it's just impressive what type of physical capacity has been developed as a result of this obscure sport that started as kind of like a backyard barbecue throwdown workout thing. <laughs> yeah, it's so much. It's so much capacity for like a free pair of shoes and a shirt with your name on it. Like it's just isn't that so? That's so interesting. Like wow. Like yeah. what are we doing here? We're building like literally building Batman. We're building Batman yeah. and Batwoman like every single day in the gym. And then what do they do? Like they go out and like they go to like the the this the whims. Like they compete on the whims of some guy in like California. Yeah. It's just it's it's such an interesting application of of that level of of fitness, that level of capacity. Yeah. Well, 
Max, I don't even know what to say. I just love shooting the shit. I feel like I could shoot the shit with you for like another like two hours and like not run <laughs> just out talk, of anything. To talk talk about. CrossFit. Yeah. Like, okay, we didn't even talk. Right, last thing I'm going to ask. I'm very curious because okay. we because like yeah. I feel like we've just been geeking out a lot about like how cool this shit is and what we know yeah. and whatever. But I'm curious now. I'm gonna I am gonna put you on the spot. I'm curious who you think the best champion, both male or female, is in the sport. Like it, it, it like last year the question would have been is Matt better than Tia or is Tia better than Matt? But now I'm curious, who do you think just the best champion has been? What do you define champion by just like the best person that has won or the most dominant relative to the field? Best person the... that has won like single, not, I mean, single best, like single best CrossFitter, basically male or female between, between it's probably going to be between Tia and Matt. Like that's the, yeah, I mean, make, I think, but like, yeah, I think those are the two that you have to compare. Um, can I say I'm going to take the political answer and say that they tie and potentially I'll give you an answer after this year's games. Okay. Fair enough. I, I'm listen, I'm open to it. I, I don't know if the yeah. answer, I don't know if there is a, a hard and fast answer. I think it's definitely one of those things that you can have a lot of different angles to. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced that there is a correct answer to that yet, but my gut kind of tells me that, that, it will wash out in Tia's favor just in general. That That's how I kind of feel like it's going to go. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever see a performance like what Matt did at the games last year, because I don't think but we'll ever see those, those circumstances. Yeah. That those circumstances I think were a little bit strange and the dominance relative to that group of five may not have happened as pronounced had it been a group of 40 athletes, sure. even in the same circumstances, just the same test. I mean, I'm sure he would still have won in dominating fashion. I just don't know if the gap and the number of wins on every event. And if there were earlier heats that some of these athletes had an opportunity to see what it looked like and what the winning times were, I think it would have shaked out differently. That was just a very impressive performance in his ability to adapt to whatever the challenge is and have more than enough fitness to dominate in all of it. Cause that a lot of that is just like, it's literally just a one-time race. You know, you see somebody do it and you're like, all right, some of them, they didn't even get to see people demo. I think I, yeah. I don't remember for sure. I mean, definitely the run where they turned around, they didn't see a demo. They didn't know that they were doing two laps, but you know, he just, he was, he was really good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's Man, under just, understatement. Well, yeah, way to way to just understate understate what know. will happen. Yeah, he was yeah. uh he was really yeah. good. <laughs> he was quite good. Yeah, good way to put it. Yeah. Oh man, dude, it's so good. It's so good catching up. It's so good talking. Um, we definitely have to do this again. I'm sure after the games are over and things kind of like settle down a little bit, and we have. I would love to actually get back to like talking about that and seeing what the games were like and what your experience there was. Cause I'm not going to be able to go on. My wife's having a baby in the next two weeks. So oh, like, nice. Congrats, we're, thank you. Thank you. We're like right in the home stretch and you know, I'll be watching along uh, the CrossFit games from, from home, from the office cool. here. So uh, it'll be very good to catch up afterwards. I really appreciate your time, Max. It's great talking to you. Dude. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot.